Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We'll start reading at verse 1 and then we'll read down to verse 5. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if any man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We praise your name, your holy and spotless, gracious, salvific name. The name of Jesus, the Savior of his people. Father, we are so grateful today for that salvation. We're grateful for all that you have done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're so grateful for all the mercies and the blessings that we have received in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the world. We thank you for your sovereignty. We praise you for your work of providence in the lives of your creation. In bringing forth the glory of Christ Jesus to all the ends of the world, Lord. Through the preaching of the gospel, we're so grateful that Christ is displayed. And may we be found faithful in preaching that gospel. Father, we pray that you would just help us. We need your help, Lord, this morning because we're so enabled to do anything spiritually without you. You say in your word that without you, you can we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we look to you this morning. I pray that you would help me to preach. I pray that you would help these brethren to listen and to apply wisdom to what is being heard, that you might grow them in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, Lord, we truly desire your touch from above. We pray that you would just edify us today feed us with your word lord we pray that it might be magnifying of the work of christ of his glory of saving us lord we are so thankful for uh, these brethren that you have given to us together with we're so thankful father for an opportunity each week together uh, in freedom to be able to preach and to teach and to sing and to pray and Lord we just are so uh, appreciative to be able to still do that here in our country Uh, Lord we thank you for uh, this week uh, the the rolling back of Roe versus Wade and what you have done in the hearts of the congressional people and the uh, Supreme Court and these things coming to be Lord, we are so thankful for that. And we pray, Lord, that uh, uh, that people will see uh, 
that life uh, is is life even in the womb and that Lord that this is truly a, a miraculous thing that you have done on this nation that has turned their backs on you that has gone so far away from your word but Lord we know that you're elect the ones that you've given to know the things of scripture sees these things and you, we know that you are bringing others of your sheep into that repentance of knowing and, and trusting on Christ alone and to be able to see the principles of Scripture. And Lord, we just uh, are, are just asking that you be with our family and our friends and all those who are uh, around us, Lord, that you just might give us opportunity uh, to minister and to testify of Christ Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <coughs> Alright, brethren, Galatians chapter 6, and uh, we started last week and we looked at verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> and I kind of wanted to just recap briefly on that because um, what Paul is getting at here in this portion of his letter to this, these Galatian churches is, um, is as I've mentioned before, this... Uh, is a letter that is ongoing. It's not just in segments of here, here's a segment for this, here's a segment for this, here's a segment for this. But it's one flowing letter. And Paul has been conveying some thoughts, some instructions, some corrections uh, to these brethren, and particularly in the area of the law and how they were uh, believing that they still had to keep the law or if they even could keep the law of Moses and believe in grace. And so Paul is, correct, is correcting them now uh, through this letter that uh, we are no longer under law but under grace, that we do not have to keep the law for righteousness' sake. Uh, we do not have to keep the law for acceptance before God or keeping before God or to have a relationship or fellowship with God, that that is not the basis upon which righteousness uh, is established, whether it be eternal or whether it be physical in time. We do not establish a righteousness by what we do outwardly in keeping the law of Moses. Our righteousness is established by the Lord Jesus Christ and it is laid to our account. It is imputed to us. And so Paul is writing that the gospel is not about Jesus plus this. It's about Jesus only. And he is now in the part of the letter where he is telling these brethren, there are some of you that realize this liberty and you're living within this liberty, but there are some of you here that believes that they are still keep the law, that they are still to keep these things, and it is becoming a burden because as we have said before prior, that this is a yoke that nobody can bear. Our forefathers didn't wasn't able to bear this yoke. We're not able to bear this yoke. These Gentiles who definitely have not been under the law all these years, and because if you remember, the Gentiles never was given the law. They was never under the law that Moses uh, had given, uh, God had given to the Israelites. It, that was only for the Israelites. It wasn't for everybody else. Everybody else didn't get that law. So all those thousands of years that the law was in, in, in force over the uh, people of Israel and the, the things that they were to do uh, because of those laws didn't pertain to the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles, you know, why put them under that yoke? That's what the people in Jerusalem were saying. 
And so <clears throat> Paul in writing this is saying, listen, those who have come under this burden, and we seen last week that that word burden there uh, in, uh, look there in verse 2, if any man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. We talked about how that fault is referring back to what's in context here. What's in context? Well, what's in context is the fault of believing that one can obey to gain righteousness, that one can keep the law for righteousness, that one can produce a righteousness in and of themselves. And Paul says that is a fault that somebody can fall into, that that is a mentality that somebody can come under. Even those who have already believed the gospel can be overcome, bewitched by this teaching. I know that there's a lot of people who say, well, the person that's born again, they're never going to be fooled by this or that. That's, that's not true. There was lots of people that were fooled by certain things who had the Spirit of God in them, but... God does bring us back to right thinking. He does grow us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't think that we can't make errors after we have become children of God. I mean, after we become born again, we were always children of God even before we were ever created. But uh, whenever we were born again, uh, that automatically doesn't just apply all the knowledge that you can have. You still have to grow, and you still can make mistakes. You still can be deceived, and you can be swayed away for just a little bit. But the Lord will always bring us back to right thinking of this. And so Paul is saying, listen, those who have come under this fault here, you who are spiritual, you who are walking in the Spirit, and that was in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, that we, we who live in the Spirit are to walk in the Spirit. He says, you who are walking spiritually, you who are walking knowing that righteousness comes from Christ alone, you need to go in meekness and you need to come alongside these people and in verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of God. We've seen last week the word burden there also means uh, iniquities. We found that in Psalms uh, 38 verse 4, for mine iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Um, so whenever we see that these burdens or these iniquities, these trespasses that these men are coming under because they're trying to keep the law and they're seeing that they can't and it's becoming discouraging to them because of what they're hearing priests that you have to keep this to be saved and here they're saying I'm trying to keep it but I can't I keep failing then that discouragement becomes even heavier even heavier because those who are religious that are pointing their fingers at them saying look at you look at you and then pointing to themselves as looking better like it's making them look better. And so that's kind of what Paul is getting at whenever we bear one another's burdens, we're to come alongside of them and realize that, hey, these people are in the same boat as I am. These people are just like me. I'm just like them. We have the same nature. I, I could be in their place tomorrow. And so we come alongside and we lift up each other and we support each other. Now, where, what does that mean to bear one another's burdens? Well, whenever a, a brother is in a trespass, and I would say, as I mentioned last week, the context of this is the, 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 uh, the trespass of going back and looking to the law for righteousness. It's self-righteousness. But we can talk about any kind of trespass. Now, particularly this one is talking about 
the trespass of self-righteousness or, or thinking you can keep the law for righteousness' sake. Uh, but it can be any trespass. Anything that our brother or sister comes under, we who are spiritual, we ought to go to them and we ought to with meekness, see that in verse 1, with meekness uh, helps, help them. We can sympathize with them. We can uh, feel their uh, uh, their struggle that they're going through. That I, you know, I can't keep the law. I can't keep the law. And we go to them and say, "Listen, we know, we understand. We're just like you. We, we know we can't keep it, but that's why those who are spiritual can go alongside because they know it's not about looking at the law. It's about looking at Jesus Christ. Looking at Jesus Christ, He's your righteousness." And so we come and we encourage our brothers. That's how we bear up their burden, is by encouraging them to look to Christ. Yes, do we tell them that's, that's a sin? Do we tell them, yes, that we need to turn away from that? Yes. Listen, brethren, true love is helping a brother out in recognizing that what they are believing and what they're holding to is sin. That's not hate speech. A lot of people want to call it hate speech whenever you talk about somebody's sin. Whenever you point out the unbiblical, uh, uh, the unbiblicalness, the non-biblical understanding uh, that they might have, whenever you point that out, it's not hate; it's love. It's you love them, and you want them to say, "Hey, this is what God's word says. This is what God's word says. This is how we should be thinking." Not thinking like the world. That's what Paul was talking about in Corinthians, where we said we don't come with the wisdom of the world. We come with the wisdom that is from God, that wisdom that's hidden from those who are perishing, but to those who are being made alive, those people, uh, they are the ones who have been given the knowledge of this wisdom of what Christ is all about, what God's Word is meaning, those things like that. So we come alongside of those who profess to be Christian, and we say, hey, listen, this is not right. This is a sin. You're, you're, You're looking at this from the wrong perspective. And we come alongside of them, and we help them, and we love them, but we come meek. We don't come blasting a horn at them, pointing our fingers at them, judging them, unfriending them on Facebook or whatever, you know. I see so much of that on Facebook, you know, guys that I've talked to and had conversations with. The moment that you disagree with them, they're automatically mad at you, and the next thing you know, you're seeing them as add a friend, meaning that they unfriended you. Brothers in Christ, we come alongside of each other knowing that. And that's what Paul is getting at. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We've seen that that there means that whenever you go, be careful because you know that you can be in the same place and you can even be tempted by their sin to fall in line with that. And then in verse 2 he says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, starting today, we see, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now, this uh, uh, is going right along with what Paul has been saying all along. Matter of fact, go back with me, if you would, to uh, chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love 
serve one another. Now, that serving one another is the same as bearing one another's burdens. That's part of serving. How do I serve you? Okay? A lot of times we talk about that. We come to the church service, right? We're having a service right here. And a lot of times in our minds, whenever we think of service, we're thinking of an activity of meeting and sitting and listening. But service is actually something that we are actively doing. Whenever we come to church, service is to come to serve one another. That's one of the reasons we come to church. If you remember uh, a few weeks ago, whenever I pre- uh, preached on why we meet, uh, we've seen that one of the reasons that we meet is to worship. One of the reasons that we meet is to be edified by God's Word. And the other re- one is is for the fellowship of the saints. That's where we encourage one another. We serve one another. Well, how do we serve one another? Well, one of the ways that we serve one another is by bearing one another's burdens. So we see this tied back into, into, into what Paul's already been saying. Look at verse 14. It says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now we know that we can't perfectly do this, right? We can't have perfect love. We're still in this flesh and it's going to be biased. It's going to be flaky. It's not going to be able to love perfectly. It's not going to be able to love as God loves. It's not going to be able to have that agape love. It might have a phileo love, a friendly love. It might have a uh, eros love or a romantic love or a uh, intimate love. But even at that, it's going to be sketchy. <laughs> Uh, I love my wife, and I've loved her for 30 years. But sometimes I don't feel like that. Whenever we get mad at each other, am I showing love to my wife whenever I get mad at her, scream at her, holler at her or anything? No. I might love you as a friend, but are we going to have a problem with one another? We might. You might do something that makes me mad, and you go off to your house and as soon as you get out the door I thought man that's our dog I can't believe he blah 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 why because we don't have perfect love right we don't have perfect love now because I said that does that mean I don't love you no it don't mean I love you it just means that I can't love you perfectly I desire to love you I desire to be friendly I desire to be uh serving you, but I can't do that perfectly. The only one that's done this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who has actually loved his neighbor as himself because he went to the cross for us. The Bible says that that the whole purpose in God sending his son is because of his love. For God so loved, this is how God showed his love for the elect, he sent his son to die for us. And the Bible says that uh, no greater love hath any man than he to lay down his life for his friend. Christ is the one who fits the bill here, brethren. So again, it always comes back to not our performance, but it is pointing to Christ's performance. Even in this, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now Jesus is our example, and that's the thing that we desire to be like, and that in our in our uh, thoughts and in our minds, we we strike out to do that and to try to to do whatever we can, the best that we can. 
But brethren, please don't ever get in your mind to know that we can do that perfectly. That that we cannot do that in a capacity that would fulfill the law of God. The only one that can do that is Christ. But yet because Christ is in us, because that, that Holy Spirit is in us, we desire those things. And like Paul said in Romans 7, I desire to do those things, but every time I want to do what's good, evil is present with me. My flesh is always there, corrupting everything that I do, but thank God there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I will serve the law of God with my mind, even though that I will be serving uh, the law of sin with my flesh. Our minds and our hearts desire that holiness and righteous walk, but yet we cannot do that. So whenever we look at this scripture, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, we are to understand that as even that Christ has accomplished that for us. However, that is our desire to do. We are desiring to do those things. But if ye bite, look at verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So you see the context that Paul is saying in, in verse 3 of chapter 6. If any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceived himself. He's going back to what Paul has been talking about all along here is the fact that, listen, if you bite and devour each other, and how are they doing that? How are these Galatians biting and devouring each other? They were comparing each other and how they were keeping the law. That's why Paul came into this portion of his letter to start dealing with this. Instead of the doctrinal part, which was at the first part of Galatians, he was dealing with doctrinal things. But now we see, look, this is the application of the doctrine. The application of the doctrine of no longer under law but under grace is that we, because of that grace, can bear one another's burdens because all of us are under that same guilt. We cannot keep the law. And so therefore, we who desire in our minds to keep the law, but yet fail, when we fail, we have a brother or sister that's there to encourage us, to pick us up, maybe to even warn us whenever we might be blinded, deceiving ourselves. Because he says that right there. Does he not say that? He says that, For if a man think himself to be something... When he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So that tells me that someone who is a child of grace, who has heard the gospel and believed the gospel, can be deceived into thinking that he himself is producing something in and of himself that he really can't. That means he's deceived. And so we come along because someone can even be deceived. And so we share with them God's word, instruction, because the Bible does say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, and it's profitable for correction. One of the things is for correction. One of the things is to reprove and to rebuke. That's not right. This is what's right. Believe what is right. That is the encouragement that we do. And so it's not in a, in a bad way. We do it in meekness. But we see that this is the issue that can easily arise in a church that preaches and teaches law for right walking, for right righteousness, I should say, maybe. 
But he says, For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now let's just think about that for a minute. <clears throat> that should be a, that should be a warning. That should be a blaring <laughs> alarm to all of us who are God's people that we need to be careful how we think of ourselves. We can become self-righteous not only in thinking of our self-righteousness before God, but our self-righteousness before others. See, whenever we begin to start bearing one another's burden, what does that mean? Okay? Okay, I come to Zach and I start telling Zach, hey brother, I've been noticing that you're kind of drifting off in this area. You know, I just want to come and encourage us, you know, say, hey, you know, Remember what God's Word says about this. Well, whenever I come to start doing that, what am I doing? I am dealing with a fault that this brother might have. Not a fault with me, not a fault with the church, not a fault in general. We're talking about whenever he comes and he is trespassing God's Word. See, that's what matters. I posted a little uh, a little thing this week on my Facebook the final authority. This is the final authority. It's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's not what I think we ought to do. It's not what you think we ought to do. It's not what, you know, the experts out there say we ought to do. The final authority is this in all matters of our life. What we do, this right here is our final authority. This is the words of God. God himself spoke these words and it was written down for us. So this ought to be our final authority not what I think, you know, the Republicans or the Democrats or the conservatives or the liberals are saying. It doesn't matter what that. It doesn't matter what this preacher or that preacher, whether John MacArthur or uh, Steve Lawson or all these other men that are out there on the TV and the radio and all these things. It doesn't matter what they say. It matters what does God's Word say. And so whenever I come alongside of Zach and I'm trying to encourage him and try to, with God's word and meekness, try to instruct him, the temptation might come up in me to look at Zach and say, you, I'm a lot better than that. I'm not sinning. So I'm going to go to this brother. I'm going to tell him his sin. And if he don't listen to him, then I'm going to be self-righteous. Now, we don't... We usually don't say that to ourselves, right? We never say, I'm going to be self-righteous. But what happens? The temptation to look down upon the brother who is sinning and to begin to compare ourselves. We now begin to start comparing ourselves one to the other. I'm doing more than that brother's doing. I'm doing more than that sister's doing. Look what they did. Look how we start beginning to compare ourselves and as Paul said we begin to bite and devour each other we begin to bite and devour each other brethren that can happen within a church don't think that, that just because you're a New Testament church and you have people in there that is born of God that these things can't happen it happened to the Galatian church our church is I mean, Paul sent this to more than one church in Galatia, so obviously it can happen. So Paul says, for if a man thinks himself to be something, but you see how he added, when he is nothing? See, anytime you begin to think of yourself as something, 
you need to be reminded that you're nothing. Remember Paul said, oh wretched man that I am? Paul said that he couldn't do it. He admitted his failure. There is no good in me. In me dwelleth no good thing. So whenever I come to Zach and I begin to deal with Zach and his trespass, if I'm going to come in a meek way, if I'm going to come in a humble way, I need to be coming within my mind knowing what God's Word has said about myself. God's Word has said that there is nothing in me that's good. So I'm no different than this brother. He's doing the trespass now. I may be doing the trespass later, and he may need to come to me. And whenever he comes to me, am I going to be puffed up or am I going to be humble? So whenever I come to him, and he's not humble about hearing the correction, guess what? Am I going to get judgmental against him? Well, you've done that. I don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And there begins we, we divide and devour. No, what do I do? I come knowing, hey, this brother's in the trespass, and he's... Or I'm in a trespass and this brother is coming and correcting me. I at least need to check out God's word and make sure if what he's telling me is true, maybe I am wrong. Let me go to God's word and see that. And then whenever you do that, you are with a mind that is, hey, I am a sinner and I am nothing. And that brother is a sinner and he is nothing. But he can sympathize with what I am. He loves me enough to tell me that my doctrine is wrong. He loves me enough to tell me that I'm moving away from biblical principles. He loves me enough to come underneath me and to hold me up and to edify me. That's why we meet together, remember? To edify me. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law. If you love your brother in Christ, remember, that's what he said the law was, right? For all the law is fulfilled in one word, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you want to fulfill that law of Christ, what is it that we are to do? Bear ye one another's burdens. How do I show my love for the brethren? By encouraging them in correct doctrine. By encouraging them in the Word of God. How do we show our love? It's not by taking Zach some soup when he's sick. That is a show of friendly love. A care for each other. Do I show it by... Mowing their lawn or giving them a little money whenever they're down and out. Nope, that's surely a loving thing to do as far as the love of, of, of friendship that, that is there. But I'm talking about what is this love that, that God is talking about? How do we love and serve one another? We do that by encouraging one another in the doctrine of Christ. See, Paul was writing to these people that your doctrine of Christ has veered from the truth and is into error. You are saying Christ plus Moses. And so he is coming alongside of them in love, and he is rebuking that with the word of God, and in doing so, out of his love for them, teaching them that's correct. So again, to say that hatred, to correct somebody whenever they are off in scriptural matters, is not a sign of hate. It's not hate speech. It's not hating the person. But it is being loving, according to the Scripture. Why? Because you are exhorting them in Christ. 
You are encouraging them in Christ and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. So you see, with, if, if we're going to come in this way, we need to realize about ourselves that we are no different than those that we're going to. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing uh, in himself. Now that kind of sounds weird. We were just told to bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But now we're seeing, but let every man prove his own work and then shall he have rejoicing in himself and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. Is this contradictory? Well, we know it's not because it's God's word. It's just that one thing doesn't mean the other thing or to the exclusion of the other thing. Okay? He says, For if a man think of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And I believe what Paul is doing here in verse 4 is actually kind of moving into a sarcastic tone. I guess you'd say maybe that's not the word. <clears throat> Ironic tone uh, here. I don't believe that Paul is encouraging us saying, Listen, you go prove your own work, and whenever you prove your own work, now that then you can boast upon yourself. It's okay to boast if you can prove that your work is good. That's not. I don't think that's what Paul is instructing us to go do. I think Paul is saying this sarcastically, rhetorically, maybe, or that may not be the word either. Again, I'm not a wordsmith around here. Uh, the word that I'm looking for, someone can type in, but. What I'm saying is Paul is saying that, listen, if you think you're something more than you're not, what's already established is that you're nothing. So if you go and prove your own work and think that you can have a place to rejoice, you're mistaken because you're nothing. Okay? But is that true? Yes, that's true. But is that what this is saying? Well, to some degree it is. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself. But remember, he's preaching to the children of God, who has the Holy Spirit in them, convicting them, teaching them, bringing them to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we start to examine our own work, what are we going to find? That we can do nothing. If we're a child of God, if we're born from above, it's going to always lead us back to that we can do nothing. And so Paul is basically saying, hey, all right, go examine your work. And if you think, if you find that you're keeping the standard, then you have something to rejoice in. But don't let that standard, look what he says there, and not in another He's saying, but don't let that standard be your brother and sister in Christ because they're in the same boat as you. They're in the same boat as you. Don't judge their, them as a standard. The standard is never the other person. The standard is always Jesus Christ. He's the standard. Holiness. God's righteousness. 
God's holiness, God's perfection. That's what the standard is. So if you're going to go judge yourself by yourself, if you're going to go judge yourself by your standard and how you're keeping God's law, you're always going to find out that you are nothing. And you who think you're something, you've deceived yourself. You who think you can keep the word and boast within yourself because you kept the word, you're deceiving yourself. And the reason why is because you're judging yourself among others. Because if you were judging yourself by Christ or by the law of God, by the by the righteousness of God, then you would surely see that you're nothing. That you can't keep it. See, that's what Paul's bringing out here. See, Paul's not encouraging us that we have the ability to do some work that would justly allow us to glory in ourselves. That we are doing some work that we could point to something that we have done. He's not encouraging that. He is sarcastically saying, all right, you who are deceived, go off and try to do your work and see if you have room to glory in yourself. But don't be judging it by another person. You need to be judging it by Christ Jesus. So let every man prove his own work, and then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now, uh, the only reason that we can bear another one's burden is if we ourselves are bearing our burden. See, as I begin to bear my burden, if I begin to see and understand the burden of trespass that I have before God against the law, whenever I begin to see that and that burden that I am bearing, the Lord tells me, cast all your cares upon me. He said, come unto me, all ye who are laid, uh, uh, who are uh, uh, weary and heavy laden, who has a burden. Cast all your burdens or all your cares upon me. See, whenever we take that, he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That burden is not the law that is condemning you, but the law that tells you Look to Christ alone. Love your neighbor and point them to Christ alone. Whenever you look to Christ alone and you point others to Christ alone, you're not going to bite and devour each other because you're all going to see that you're in the same boat together. And you're going to come under whenever somebody is in a trespass instead of pointing fingers at them and judging them and separating from them within the church or uh, and that doesn't mean discipline when someone is unrepentant but what it means is we start getting in our little cliques did you hear about brother so and so did you see about and we begin to backbite biting and devouring one another but see if we're all looking at this in the same way if we're all looking to Christ alone if we're all encouraging each other in Christ alone that's why we preach Christ alone here is because we're always encouraging people there because if I encourage you to go out and do this, then I'm encouraging you to try to accomplish something that you cannot accomplish. Now, I'm not telling you don't ever think about it and want to do it. No, I'm not telling you that. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. It's going to give you the desires for righteousness. 
You're going to desire to do the things that God wants you to do, just like Paul says. I want to do those things. So we shall bear our burden, and in bearing our burden, we will now have sympathy to bear the burdens of our brother. We've been there. We can sympathize. We know what they're going through. And now we have been taught of God. We've been taught of God what it means to fall into error and to be brought back in love. We now have that experience. We now have heard the gospel and seen what preaching the gospel can do in restoring one back to right thinking. See, Paul didn't tell them to go to the psychologist and try to figure this all out. Paul didn't try to go with them with all these Shep stories, you know, all these good feeling stories, all these funny laughing stories to try to get them to think about the subject and maybe change. He didn't, he didn't strike up a support group, an extra biblical uh, uh, activity to go on to the meetings of the church. He didn't bring in some highfalutin evangelist to preach to get everybody, you know, feeling guilty. He didn't do anything except preach Christ and Him crucified. I knew nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. How did Paul deal with this error in, in the Galatian church? It was by pointing people to Christ alone. When we point people to Christ alone, brethren, listen, that is where we make... If somebody's truly saved, again, if someone's truly saved, that's the key. Because those who are not truly saved doesn't have that that um, uh, that uh, preserving power of the Holy Spirit within them to keep them from falling away, to keep them from going away from Christ. But yet those who have the Spirit of God, when they hear those things and that conviction comes, the thing that brings them back to restoration is to keep doing more you got to work harder. Look at me. I'm more righteous than you are. If you can at least get up to my standard, we're all going to be good. No, it isn't anything like that. It's keep looking to Jesus. Because as we keep looking to Jesus, it drives us to our knees, begging for more mercy. Give me mercy, Lord, because I can't do this. I can't do this. I desire to do it, but I can't do it. We keep going to the Lord, and we just say, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have given me your righteousness, that you've provided my obedience before God, and that my acceptance and my keeping doesn't uh, 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 depend upon my performance. I desire to give you good performance, but I'm thankful that my disobedience has been covered by your blood. See, brethren, that's what Paul's getting at here. We begin to learn these things we grow in the knowledge of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we also grow in our understanding more of ourselves. And then we'll see next week, Lord willing, we'll see that uh, once we learn these things, uh, we now can communicate those to other people. Does anybody have any question or anything before we dismiss? Okay, well, we'll stop right there. Um, I do want to mention on the uh, on the seventeenth, 
uh, we will not be here. Um, so we will not have services on the 17th. That would be not, that would be in, well, a month from now, basically, almost. Not next Sunday or the next Sunday, but Sunday after that. So two, two more Sundays together, and then we won't be here on the 17th, okay? Uh, but then we'll pick back up on the 24th. All right, does anybody have anything you'd like to say or mention or any? Father, again, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the word that you've given to us today. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that is in us, that uh, guides us, directs us, that uh, instructs us in the things of Christ, and preserves us to the day of Christ's coming. And Father, Lord, I just pray that you would just be with us now as we leave this place, that you'd be with each one of these brethren. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, give them guidance and direction this week, Lord, that you would um, that you would uh, give them opportunities uh, to testify of Christ Jesus to their friends and their neighbors, their relatives, Lord. And we just pray that you would uh, help them in uh, uh, the times with their family and speaking of these things. Lord, we uh, pray for the Cordova family this morning. Uh, we thank you for uh, the time that we've had with them and we pray Lord now that as you've led them to Oklahoma City we pray Lord that you would just be with them uh, and uh, whatever you have for them there Lord that you would guide them, direct them, keep them safe Lord that uh, uh, their service there Lord would be uh, a, uh, a testimony of Christ Jesus and uh, Lord we just thank you for the, the safety that you've given them as they moved yesterday and we just thank you so much for uh, the time that you allowed them to worship with us this last year. And Lord, we just, uh, again, thank you for all that you've done. And we ask you to bless this day. In Jesus' name we pray.